0: Hi, I'm Chris from IFL Science, and it's my pleasure to welcome you all to IFL Science The Big Questions, the brand new podcast series from IFL Science, where we invite our expert guests to tackle the big questions as we investigate the mysteries of science, technology, and humanity. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce your host, IFL Science Senior Writer, Dr. Alfredo Carpinetti. So, let's dive straight into The Big Questions. Hello, I'm Alfredo, and welcome to The Big Questions. In this episode, it's my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Seth Shostak, senior astronomer at SETI Institute. The question this time is, are we alone in the universe? Dr. Shostak, it's a pleasure having you here with us. Could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your work at SETI?
1: Well, I'm at the SETI Institute, which is indeed uh, interested in the question of life beyond Earth. And these days, that means not just looking for intelligent life, aliens, if you will, but also for life, for example, in our solar system under the sands of Mars, some of the moons of Jupiter, and Saturn, all of which may have biology, but it would require a microscope for you to see it.
0: Wonderful. Uh, So obviously, we have to start uh, from the big one uh, and then go into the details. Do you think that we are alone in the universe?
1: Well, I don't. But of course, what I think doesn't seem to matter too much to anybody (laughs) <laughs> including, including my relatives. But, uh, you know, when when you ask 10 scientists, do you think that there's life out there? I'm pretty sure that all of them would agree that there is. And they do that simply on the basis of numbers, uh, the number of stars in our galaxy, just our galaxy, there are 2 trillion other galaxies, but the number of stars in our galaxy is on the order of what is it? Uh, about 10,000 billion billion. And Almost all those stars have planets. So given the huge number of places where there could be life, it would be really
0: strange if there wasn't life there. Thank you very much for that. And how do we uh, approach, uh, uh, how does SETI approach uh, this search for extraterrestrial intelligence, but also much simpler life?
1: Yeah, well, we try and use as many different techniques as we can. A lot of it, believe it or not, is limited by the question of money. Most people don't think about money when they think about this kind of research. They're not interested in the money. But if you're trying to do the work, then, then you're interested in it because if you don't have money, you can't build equipment, you can't pay people, etc. So when it comes to looking for life that might not be so intelligent, it, that might require that microscope, uh, we do many of the things that NASA does. In other words, you know, we search in the half dozen places in our solar system where there might be in fact life. And we do that on the basis of data from NASA's space probes and rovers and so forth everybody knows about the Perseverance rover now crawling around Mars. Well, it's looking for places where there might have been life a long time ago, say three or four billion years ago. And it's storing that that evidence in tubes of metal that'll get picked up sometime in the future, brought back to Earth. Maybe we'll find that Mars has or had bacterial life. That would be very interesting, because that would show you that at least life can get started in places we hadn't looked. As far as intelligent life, the traditional method has been to use big antennas, they're called radio telescopes, and try to uh, eavesdrop to try to pick up transmissions from other societies that could be quite far away. I mean, it could be hundreds of light years away. The other technique that's being used is we also look for flashing lasers, and just look for things that have been built. You know, I mean, you think about it. Uh, if somebody told you, go find the Romans, you know, the classical Romans. And you could try and do that, but they're gone now. They've been gone for, for what are they? They've been gone for 1600 years. But you can find the Colosseum and the Forum and so forth. And so you can find evidence that they existed even today. So looking for that kind of artifact for aliens, maybe they built something big. Uh, is another way to approach the problem.
0: When it comes to finding, uh, let's focus on uh, intelligent lives uh, for now, uh, when it comes to finding uh, um, these uh, signals from uh, other civilization, and maybe this could be a little bit controversial, like humanity sends some signal out there in terms of uh, television and radio transmission, but it's never been with purpose. Do we expect uh, messages to be sent out there with purpose or that we're hoping to, gel- as you said, eavesdropping and catching a transmission that was never meant for us?
1: Well, actually, Alfredo, who cares? I mean, we don't care. If you pick up a message, whether they're answering something that we sent, and we have sent a few things into space deliberately for the aliens, but only a few. Uh, or it's just you know, a random transmission that they're making, like. For example, the radar sets at our airports, right? We're not trying to signal the aliens that were here, but we build these big transmitters that send a very powerful signal, very intense signal in certain directions. Aliens might pick that up. Wouldn't be very interesting to listen to, of course, but at least they'd know there was somebody on this planet who could build such things. So in in a sense, we don't really care. It's hard to pick up things like, for example, television. If if the, the aliens have... A television networks like we do with transmitters with about the same power as ours, we wouldn't be able to pick those up unless we had a huge antenna, right, the, the size of Vermont or something like that. But, you know, we could pick up some of the stronger transmissions from Earth. We don't know what the aliens are doing. So any clues are welcome.
0: That is fascinating. I have no idea about uh, the airport radar and how intense they were. So that's uh... They could be going uh, at least tens of light years at this point. I don't know when was the first uh, very intense radar built.
1: Yeah, um, more or less the time of the Second World War, actually. Yeah. So, you know, maybe the aliens know about LaGuardia. Maybe
0: that's what <laughs> they know about us. Hearing a lot of people complaining about uh, security at airports or something. <laughs> So when it comes to if we're actually getting a a signal or if we were to receive something that it was definitely artificial in origin, what should we, well, actually, what you be doing, what would you be doing? What would be the next step?
1: Yeah, well, there are protocols. I don't know what I would be doing. I'm afraid probably asking for a raise. I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, the only real question is, Remember, if we pick up a signal coming from a hundred light years away or a thousand light years away, I mean, there's no danger there, right? I mean, the aliens don't know that we we found that signal, but there will be a lot of people who say, "Hey, look, uh, we want to learn more about them," and there are two ways you could do that. One is you could build different kinds of receivers so you could see if there was a message in the signal. I mean, if it's a radar set, there's no message, but if it's a deliberate transmission, you know, then then there would be a message. So the kind of equipment that's being used today and said he wouldn't be able to pick up that message. So we'd probably spend the money to do that. The other group of people would say, hey, look, there are aliens out there. Let's invite them to dinner or whatever. And so they would want to send a message. And uh, there are protocols about that. But on the other hand, you know, I think that the protocols don't matter too much because people who wanted to send a, a message back would build the equipment to do that. And they don't care about protocols. So
0: You know, maybe we would say, well, we're the earthlings.
1: Here we are. Talk to us.
0: All right. So let's assume that uh, we have found this uh, message and we decide not to send uh, a message back. Yes. Uh, How do we approach like uh, is would there be a major announcement uh, like who finds it just announces uh, or do we expect panic in the streets? uh, Not thinking uh, war of the world uh, by. uh, (laughs) Wells. Yeah. Yeah. I, I.
1: I don't think there'd be panic in the streets to begin with. You know, one third of all Americans and one third of all Europeans and one third of all they think that the aliens are already here, right? They think some of these UFOs are alien craft. I I don't agree with that, but you know they do think that, and they're not pan- they're not panicking the streets about it. They really aren't. Uh, so I think that if they read a news story, hey, a signal was found coming from this place. I mean, they they would know that there's no danger. It's like you tuning in. Your favorite talk radio host in your car radio. I mean, it's not any. It's not dangerous to you. The, the radio host isn't going to give you a hard time. So I, I don't know that there would be any sort of panic. What would happen, of course, is that you know you would tell everybody. Now a lot of people don't believe that. They think the government would keep it secret. Well, to begin with, the government isn't running those programs, so that's point one. But the other point is that if you find a signal, you would call up. Other people in other countries with other equipment say, you guys, check it out. Make sure that we're not kidding ourselves here. And uh, so that means it would be known around the world in our, in our experience. Whenever the, uh, the word gets out, well, there could be aliens or maybe, maybe you found a signal. Immediately, the radio, television and newspaper call you up. So it would just be a big story. And I personally don't think there'd be much panic. I think people would be interested.
0: Absolutely. I think it would be fascinating. And I, I'm glad you mentioned uh, how it would be a sort of international effort. Uh, and now I'm just wondering, uh, for the conspiracy theorists, uh, just how many people are uh, like working in SETI?
1: Well, the total number of people that work for the SETI Institute is about 100 in terms of the scientists. But almost all of them, 90, 98 of those 100, are working what's called astrobiology. So they're interested in life in space, but again, the microscopic life in space that you might find on Mars. Uh, there are very few of us there that actually do SETI. The total number of people in the world that do SETI uh, is maybe two dozen, maybe two dozen. And, and actually the United States these days, I can even narrow, narrow that, but even the, in the United States, actually even California, which has all the SETI experiments by coincidence, you know, that, that total effort is so tiny that, uh, you know, it's, it's perceived as a big, big project, but it's strictly an American project now. And this first time in history, it's strictly been an American project. There was a, uh, an effort, for example, the only, uh, European effort was Italy, uh, people at the Bologna, uh, observatory, which is part of the university there in Bologna, had an experiment running for at least 20 years, but they ran out of money
0: too. So uh, I think we hear you loud and clear that uh, if we want to expand uh, on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, we will need uh, some uh, money into the actual search. Yeah, Um, let me
1: me just add add one more thing to that, Alfredo. That's that's a well-known problem, but there's actually a guy who lives here in the Silicon Valley Uh, A Russian investor, Yuri Milner, and he got interested in this subject and he has given $100 million over 10 years or $10 million a year to the University of California at Berkeley to improve their search. So that's by far the biggest effort in the world now. And it's because there's
0: real money involved. And and of course, the people at Berkeley are very clever. Excellent. um, we talked about radio signal, uh, but before, you also mentioned um, flashes of uh, light, lasers. Can you expand a little bit on that?
1: Yeah. You know, one of the ways that people communicate in the old Western movies, I don't think they do it anymore, but, you know, the, the, the cowboy is surrounded by bad guys and he has a shaving mirror. I don't know how he carries it around, but he has a shaving mirror and he uses it to flash sunlight you know, in the direction of his friends. So, you know, you can send information on a beam of light, right? People have heard of fiber optics. Actually, you can send more information than on a beam of radio waves. So, and and light, at least over modest distances, up to about a thousand light years, is a good way to send information to the galaxy. If you go to infrared, you could even send it farther. So uh, it could be that the aliens have bypassed uh, radio as a way of signaling and are sending everything on the you know, sort of uh, fiber optics, but without the fiber part. So uh, it could be that they're flashing lasers going off. And, you know, we wouldn't even have noticed. I mean, if somebody told you, hey, you know, I noticed last night in that constellation up there, there was a green flash for a tiny fraction of a second, a millionth of a second. You think anybody would have noticed that? Nobody would have noticed. So experiments to see if we can find such things, I think, uh, are very interesting because we've never
0: tried. Are there specific searches for these lasers uh, or something planned? There are. There are. Uh, The SETI Institute has a uh,
1: project underway to build the equipment to do that. And uh, the University of California at Berkeley also has a laser search scheme underway. There may be others, but those are the two I know about.
0: That's, that's fantastic. I'm glad that uh, we're sort of <laughs> expanding uh, uh, the possibilities to search for this uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. Uh, so um, let's uh, go back about uh, the um, biology. We Obviously, we are focusing a lot on Mars. So we have lots of rovers there. Uh, and there are also searches uh, uh, beyond uh, uh, The inner solar system. Uh, We're looking at the moons of uh, Jupiter, the moons of Saturn. Uh, What uh, um, could be possible to learn uh, from Earth uh, um, from uh, what SETI is doing in terms of learning from what we can see from telescope and previous data?
1: Yeah, well, the, the searches for life on Mars, I mean, they're very extensive. Mars has gotten the majority of our attention ever since the, well, actually ever since the 19th century, when the director of the Milan Observatory uh, uh, and then later a guy by the name of Giovanni Scaparelli claimed that they could see canals on Mars, right? So Mars has always been interesting from the standpoint of life, but we still haven't found any. But of course you can get to Mars in seven months with a rocket. So it's relatively easy to do experiments with Mars. The moons of the outer solar system, three of Jupiter, two of Saturn, These are also places that have a lot of water, right? And they've had a lot of water for more than 4 billion years. Now, the water is under ice. It's not on the surface, too cold. But, you know, if you go maybe a kilometer deep or maybe even less, you might find liquid water on these moons. And that water has been there for, as I say, 4.5 billion years. So it's possible something has happened there that maybe you developed life. Now, I don't think you would find tuna or anything very interesting in terms of a, a good dinner uh, in those oceans, because there isn't very much energy down there. There's not, it's hard to get anything to eat. You don't have sunlight you know, causing plants to grow and stuff like that. So uh, it, it would probably, probably be microscopic life. But if you found it, at least you could say, hey, look, life is not some sort of miracle. I mean, it, it happened in the, on this moon of Jupiter. That would be very interesting.
0: Yeah, I am personally fascinated about the possibility of life uh, in the moons of Jupiter, both in terms, uh, if it's something that is similar to Earth life, but also if something is different. I think it can open such a huge realm of possibility when we are discussing uh, uh, biology.
1: Absolutely. No, I mean, if you found life on you know, one of the moons of Jupiter, Europa, for example, you, you wouldn't anticipate that it would have DNA. It might have an, a molecule that does what DNA does, you know, sort of a blueprint for life. But why should it be the same blueprint? It might be a different one. So uh, that would be interesting, show you that biology is a very general thing.
0: And obviously, we could find uh, uh, life uh, also beyond the, the solar system. And uh, um, how are we approaching the search of... Uh, simpler life, not uh, direct uh, through uh, messages uh, beyond uh, the uh, what we can uh, have here in the solar system? Are we looking well, for lives on exoplanets, for example?
1: Yeah, well, we are, or will, let's put it that way. I mean, you know, exoplanets are like trying to see, I don't know, a firefly, and that's what they usually say, around a Hollywood searchlight, from 15,000 kilometers away. It's very hard. It's very hard to even find those planets, let alone examine them. But there are new telescopes coming online that will make that easier. In particular, the James Webb telescope, which may launch within a year. I don't know, it's always being delayed, so I don't know. But you know, that will have uh, the capability of maybe measuring what's in the atmospheres of some of these distant planets, planets around other stars. And if they were to find, for example, methane or oxygen, oxygen, oxygen is in our atmosphere because of photosynthesis. So it's in our atmosphere because of life. If you found oxygen in the atmosphere of another planet, you know, that would be a good clue that there's something alive down there. So it's something people think about how to do it. It hasn't been done very much yet because we can't. But within a couple of years, that'll change.
0: I'm glad you mentioned methane and uh, oxygen. Those are two of the things that uh, tend to be referred to as the biosignature, but it's also been a discussion on technosignatures. So looking at uh, uh, different uh, substances in these atmospheres. Uh, what do you think, do you think it's uh, like uh, on earth would be seeing uh, uh, increasing uh, carbon dioxide uh, due to uh, the climate crisis or CFCs that killed ozone. You think it's something that uh, should be investigated more respect to just the most basic biosignature?
1: Well, I, I don't think anybody disrespected it. <laughs> the you know, the men for methane would complain. Or... <laughs> but but keep in mind that, you know, the oxygen has been in Earth's atmosphere in large quantities now for about two billion years. Right. That gives the aliens a lot of time to find it, whereas CFCs, chlorofluorocarbons, you know, from hairspray or whatever, those were in the atmosphere for 10 or 20 years, right? So you know, it, it's a signature, but the signature is very fast and then goes away. So it may be that yes, you can talk about too much carbon dioxide in our atmosphere because of you know uh, climate change, and that is a signature potentially, but it's, you know, it's very slowly going up. And if, if we ever combat climate change one way or another, you know, it'll go away. So maybe it'll be in the atmosphere for a century or two. That's very, very short period of time compared to the history of the universe. So I, I think much better beds are things like oxygen.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, I think I only have my final question. What are your hopes for the field uh, of, uh, alien uh, search uh, over the next well, few decades.
1: Yeah, I hope we find something. Obviously, that would be <laughs> the
0: greatest thing.
1: Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's hard to predict if and when we'll find anything. I mean, it could be that we never find anything. I don't think that would convince me that nobody's out there. That seems too, too improbable to me. But it would mean uh, that we're not doing the right experiment. So there's always that. But to the extent that we are doing the right experiment, to, the extent that we're looking for something that other societies would actually do, then I think it should succeed, really. We should succeed in finding something, certainly by mid-century, because the experiments keep getting faster and better. And at some point, either they succeed or you decide this isn't the way to do this.
0: Thank you very much. If you have any final remark about uh, the search for alien life,
1: don't judge the
0: extraterrestrials
1: on the basis of what you see in the movies. I mean, I love those movies. But that's probably not the way the aliens are. In fact, given the fact that uh, we are developing technologies today and in this century that are as smart as we are, I suspect if we find the aliens, they'll be machines. Something to keep in mind.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Alfredo.
0: Thanks for listening to IFL Science The Big Questions. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And join us next time when we'll be discussing ways to stop climate change. Have a great day.